One of the major sources of relief during the course of anyone's meditative journey is going to be the realization that we don't have to act out the thoughts as they arise. And this is clearly true when you're standing on an apartment building uh, balcony and you look down at the ground and the impulse or the thought arises to jump. None of us really act on that and if we do, we're not here to listen to this episode. And so it's clear that every thought, every impulsive thought or compulsive thought or any any thought that just spastically lurches into realization or awareness they don't all need to be acted upon we're filtering our thoughts and we're acting on only the ones that seem suitable in every given moment unless maybe we're drunk and then we're acting everything out because our inhibitions have been reduced but for the most part we are filtering our thoughts to begin with now the question i'd like to ask is do we have to act on any of our thoughts And that's where things start to get really interesting. And that's also where a really great sense of freedom can be seen. Sam Harris talks about this as uh, the three stages of how thoughts register in the course of a meditative journey. And the first is, initially, thoughts appear to be like a finger tracing a line in water. Next... They're like a snake uncoiling itself and slithering away. And finally, thoughts are like thieves breaking into an empty house. So I'll go through these three in a few uh, greater grains of resolution here presently. And the first is when we look at the finger tracing a line in water, what does that represent? Well, the action of a finger tracing a line in water is short and yet the ramifications of what happens to the water thereafter have almost this echo as the water ripples and reverberates around in whatever container it's in and it takes quite a while for that water to settle again so if we think about the early stages of thought as being like the finger and of our awareness as being like the water, it starts to make a little more sense. There's this thought that quickly passes. It strokes a line through this water of our awareness and that water is disturbed or pleasantly or unpleasantly modified. Our experience has changed quite significantly by that passing finger. And in the absence of thoughts early on, there's going to be that clarity. The water won't be distorting the light that's passing through it. It'll be still. As we pay more and more attention to the separateness of thoughts, they can become like separate objects. They can become like a snake uncoiling itself. And then we're getting into that second stage where a thought can be so clearly seen that it appears to be like a snake coiled up on the ground and then when seen it's shy like a snake and we no longer necessarily need to be represented as anything but this awareness that notices the snake and then the snake 
when noticed, because it's shy, its tendency is to retreat. It just slithers away into the grass and it's gone. And it leaves very little evidence of it having ever been there. Any residue of that thought might be seen as only a very faint track in the sand if, in fact, the snake was on the sand. If the snake was on pavement or stone, there might be zero evidence whatsoever of there even having been the snake or the thought at all. And all of this can be very clean, or clearly seen in this second stage. In the third stage, where we're now very much aware of the separateness of thoughts and not getting so tangled up in them, that's when we start to get into this fun thought experiment metaphor of thoughts being thieves breaking into an empty house. And the implied message here is that the thieves are the thoughts and the house might just be our experience or our awareness or even just the computational power of our brains. We could, say, we could think of the house as our minds, maybe. And what happens is these thoughts break into unbidden. They're just kind of coming into awareness. They're breaking into the house. But the house no longer has anything of value to steal. And so there's this solidness to experience where if we think back to the first example of the finger tracing a line through water the water was very easily disturbed however thieves breaking into an empty house let's say they're picking the lock on the door they open the door and they walk in the house really doesn't change there's not a lot of distortion happening here as in with the water example the water is sloshing around or rippling and the light is changing and our experience is modified that's not happening here the thieves are clearly seen perhaps there's like a surveillance system offering us a perspective into what's happening they come into the house and then they realize there's nothing to do there's no action they need to take there's no there's nothing of value for the thieves to commandeer or to steal or to pilfer or to raid it just can't nothing can really happen and so they just leave and there's just no real evidence of them having been there we'll assume that they close the door on their way out and there's this anticlimactic um, quality to the whole event and so how does this make any difference to our day-to-day -day practice I guess it highlights the journey ahead, perhaps, depending on what stage we find ourselves at. And it holds out this roadmap of, okay, well, if at these latter stages of development in mindfulness and in med meditation, if there's this point at which thieves are like an empty, or sorry, <laughs> thoughts are like an empty house, uh, I'm going to get this butchered here. Thoughts are like thieves entering an empty house. Why not just let them be like that right now? Why not play with the idea of the thoughts that arise moment to moment? We're considering them to be inconsequential from the get-go. And that's when things start to get really fun. The thoughts themselves lose all of their weight all of their importance 
my daughter was really upset earlier this week because she, the thought arose that she was a bad sister. I think she'd gotten into an argument uh, with her sister earlier in the day and it had really wrecked havoc on her emotional state. I think she was feeling a lot of guilt. And she drew this heartbreaking picture of herself crying and she's just learned how to spell and so she wrote, am I a bad sister? And you could tell that this thought was so firmly lodged in her mind that it was just tormenting her and she couldn't sleep and I went in there and I <laughs> gave her not the full uh, lesson of the finger in the water and the snake uncoiling. I didn't, this was before bed, I didn't want to get her too... Um, <laughs> close to the territory of nightmares so instead I just said you don't really have to believe that thought thoughts aren't inherently true I didn't say it in those words but I think I conveyed in a way that was satisfying to her that thoughts just come up on their own and they don't need to be believed we don't need to believe them and I think for her she'd obviously not heard that before but also I could see that the machinery of her thinking was changing away from, it was shifting out of the gear of, I'm a bad sister, I'm a bad sister, and just looping on that, to the new thought pattern of, oh, I, maybe I don't have to believe it? What's that all about? I wonder what dad means by that. And even just changing that thought pattern has its own relief built right into it. So I invite you to play with that to uh, today and tomorrow and just see how it feels to not believe thoughts as they arise, to not give them anything of value to steal.